Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, all of you here. Good to see you. And also online. We hope that it's all working. Our software updated, and so hopefully everything is working out on the online delivery. We got another delivery to announce. This is really, really exciting. Uh, Jean Marie was due to have her baby on Saturday, and the baby was born on Friday. So Henry Allen DuPont joins his brothers George and Richard. He, uh, he came out smiling, apparently, a very, very warm, friendly little guy already. 20 inches long, 7.12 pounds. So Blake and Jean Marie, uh, the, the flowers over here are in thanks and in gratitude to God for a safe delivery, healthy mommy, healthy baby, and we're very, very excited for them. So praise the Lord. Good, good, good news. Um, also, the screen will not be up again today, but hopefully next Sunday it will be. We found out that for two $35 parts, we can get the thing back in order. So um, I really, you don't know how happy I was. Last Sunday I said, if you know anything about this, please jump in. And we had several folks volunteer. Uh, several of them got right after it, dug into it, looked at the parts, found the parts, ordered the parts, and the parts are going to go in this next week. And that's the body of Christ at work. I can't do that. But they had the skill set to do it. And um, I'm really, really excited and, and proud of them for jumping in like that. That's so awesome. Also, we added a Thanksgiving Eve service, 7 p.m. Uh, it's for those that want to come and spend some time with the Lord. And the purpose is to thank God. That's the whole focus of that service is rooted in Thanksgiving, sharing our Thanksgivings together, praying together, worshiping the Lord together, and celebrating the Lord. So that's going to be added or is added to the list of events coming up here at the church. Are there any other announcements that we need to make? Don't, yes. I got that. I got that. Yeah, thank you. Anything else we don't want to miss out? Okay, well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this special Sunday, a Sunday, Lord God, where we come together to experience your love again and to enjoy each other's company and to grow in Christ. We thank you, Father, for your love and for the answered prayer for Jean Marie and Blake. Thank you, God, for the little boy that's joined their family, little Henry. Lord, we pray you bless them and give healing and strength now and a sustained blessing on that family. We thank you, too, for our being together this morning and for those online. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit touch each and every heart. Bring joy. Bring hope. Bring meaning and purpose to this world, Lord. May our lights be a living light that as we love each other, the world will see Jesus at work in us, and through us. And for your glorious name's sake, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Washburns. <laughs> um, let's all stand up, work out some kinks, do a little stretch there, and let's stretch our hearts and our hands to the Lord. He's a good God. He's worthy of our praise this morning.
crucifixion by his blood i have been set free i believe in the resurrection
Heavenly Father, God, we praise your name. We're here to glorify you. We're here, Lord God, because we love you. We enjoy each other's company, Lord God. You have brought us together as the body of Christ. We thank you for the love that you pour into our hearts. We're thankful, God, for the love as well that takes action, that Christ would die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins is love in action, buried, raised from the grave, ascended into heaven, returning someday, love in action. Lord God, we pray that your love that's been poured out into our hearts would find hands and feet and lips that would move, move in action, that Christ could be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. And so, God, we pray now that your Holy Spirit fall upon all of us to bless each and every one of us. We pray, too, beyond just the body of Christ, Lord God, we pray for our leaders. Lord, this is Veterans Day weekend. Fewer than 1% of the population is in service. And only about 7% of the population are veterans. Lord God, they are unique, they are different, they are a minority of us all. And we ask, Lord God, that the leadership that oversees what they do would be wise and follow your will to do what you choose to do your way. May they, Lord, find your safety, your protection, your shelter. And may, Lord God, you bring peace in Gaza and Israel, Lebanon, Syria, Iran, Ukraine, Russia, Yemen. And I bet, Lord, I've missed many places where conflict is rampant Lord God, the world needs to know your love. The world needs to find the love in action that is sacrificial, that is beneficial, that is purely good. Lord God, we pray for the light of Christ to shine, even in the deepest darkness, because, Lord God, all things are possible with you. And so, God, we come in faith today to worship you. And we pray now that our hearts would truly be renewed in and your love and through your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you're free now to head down the hallway for Sunday, the Children's Church, and also Gabe is here and Rachel, so if you're middle school, high school, feel free to go with Gabe. He's got his coffee with him there. So, the bearded man, follow that man. All right. Good, good, good. Um, just for those that came in a little late, the flowers are here to celebrate the birth of Henry to Jean Marie and Blake, and they join George, he joins George and Richard in that family. So happy mommy, happy baby. Really great, great, great response. Uh, we're so pleased, very thrilled. All right. For those of us that are here in the sanctuary, we're continuing on into the book of Romans in Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading for us, and I hope you'll follow along with me, verses 9 through 13. 
Again, the screen, we hope, will be up and active next week, so the words will be popping in over me as they have in the years past. That screen lasted for 20 years before something broke, and uh, we think we found replacement parts, and they're working on that on Monday, so we hope that by next Sunday we'll be back to normal, uh, as normal as that can be, right? And uh, I'm just so happy that we could find a workaround, so praising God for that. So I will make an extra effort to repeat the blanks in the sermon today, and that way you don't miss anything. If you did miss something and you've got access to online resources, this is all archived. The service is archived. You can go back over things that I think I've preached for the last three years, I believe it is. So uh, feel free to, to do that. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is precious. It is truth. And Lord God, we come to the point in the book of Romans where Paul is applying what we know about you. Lord, it really is all about you. It's, we're here for you. We're here because of you. We're here, Lord, to grow in Christ. We're here to be Christ-like. And so we pray that as we read these words and dig in, that, Lord God, you would challenge our hearts to really consider our love, whether it's sincere or not. Help us, Lord God, revive our spirit, revive our heart, May our identity in Christ truly shine for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul now is in a part of Romans where since chapter 11 finished and chapter 12 started, he's really gone into the application of what he has taught us for 11 chapters. And in this case, he starts off with the topic of love, and he talks about the sincerity of love and he has many examples. And we're, we're going to have to take this bit by bit. Uh, the first part that we're looking at today is how we love each other within the faith. Then he's going to talk about how we can love each other outside the faith, like people that don't know Jesus, right, and don't believe. How do we love them as Jesus would? And then the third part in the series is how do we handle our adversaries, people who are truly anti-Christ, who would persecute us and make life miserable for us, or, um, as some politicians said recently in the news, that any talk contrary to their line of thought needs to be stamped out, and the Christian church is in the way. So these are the adversaries. How do we handle that? How do we approach it? What kind of attitude should we have? How do we express the love of Jesus in that more toxic environment? So these are three pieces, so I've separated them out. Uh, this is the longer one, and then there are two shorter. Well, at least the next one I know is shorter. So I'm going to balance it out next Sunday. And then the third one, I haven't finished uh, figuring it out yet, but uh, it's coming. And I'm really excited about it. So here now what Paul writes, for us, for believers, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Praise God. This is the beginning of a series, as I mentioned, with 25 descriptors of sincere love. 
And we're only going to look at some of them today, some more next Sunday, some more the Sunday after that. Ron Riesinger will be here on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. He's going to be preaching about Noah and his experience with God. And so I'm really going to enjoy that too. And then I'll get back to the last part here um, about our adversaries after he's done. Paul isn't writing about these just for our information. He's writing these so that we could, I think, engage them, to let them penetrate our mind and our spirit and our heart. It's a great chance to step back. Okay, my love must be sincere, but what does that mean? And so Paul spends a long time drawing out what that means with the intent that we could then evaluate how sincere our love really is. Not to judge for ourselves, but to look at the criteria and say, is that me, is that me, is that me? And so that's what I think we'll be looking to do over the next several Sundays, including today. Philippians 1.27, Paul wrote to the Philippian church, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, no matter what, in every circumstance. We want to live like Christ. So the first point that we can write down in our outlines is this. Love like God does. That's our benchmark. That's what sincere love is all about, to love like God does. Teddy Roosevelt said, the things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, peace at any price, safety first instead of duty first, the love of soft living, and the get-rich theory of life. He says these are the things that can destroy our nation and, and ruin our society. Paul writes in terms of Christian society, Christian community, the church, which means people gathered together, he says that if we don't have sincere love, it can be destructive. It plays into the hands of the evil one, and we don't want to go down that road. What can ruin it? Insincere hypocritical love. That's the opposite, hypocrisy. To pretend and not have a real identity and a real engagement with that love. So he starts off with 9a, love must be sincere. Now it's interesting, these verses don't have any imperatives in them. An imperative is a command. He's not saying, I command you to sincerely love each other. How could you be commanded to be sincere? Doesn't make any sense. So Paul uses participles instead. He, all of the words here that are verbs have an ongoing activity like going, the I-N-G. That's the kind of language he's using, and it doesn't show up in the English. It's, it look, looks different, but in the Greek it's all ing related, so we'll look at how that plays out. In other words, what Paul is saying, if you're in church, I shouldn't have to tell you this stuff. We shouldn't have to command this. This should come out of your core being. If you're really a believer in Jesus, well, that's you. Let it out. Let it live. Let it show. Let it shine. And he gives examples of how we can do that. The word love, though, for us is a really difficult word. My, my uh, most annoying sign out there in the community is love is love. And I think, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means it is what it is in itself. It's a circular reasoning. It just goes around in circles and never lands. It's like a plane that never gets to land on the runway. You know it's got to come down somewhere, but nobody tells you how or where or when. It's so nebulous. And honestly, that sign comes from the fact that love in English means just anything. I like 
I love pizza. Do you love pizza? I love my wife. Do I love her as much as I love pizza or in a different way? I don't know. Love covers the whole gamut. Just throw it out there. You know? That's, love is a tough word to use. If you look in other languages, Sanskrit, the old Sanskrit, which you may have not read recently, has 96 words for love. That's the most complicated language I think ever found that had the most words for love. Then also the Persian, ancient Persian, had 80 words for love. The Greek has three, two of which are dominant in Scripture, philos and agape. The other one is eros, but it's not so much in the Bible. And there's one, I think there's a fourth one, but those are the three biggies. And then in English we have a whopping one. We have to define it, we have to describe it, we have to say what it means, otherwise pizza and Jenny get confused in the same sentence, right? And I'm sure Jenny would not feel good about being the equal of pizza in my life, right? Where are my priorities? So in English, we've got to narrow it down, and thankfully, that's what Paul does. He doesn't just say, let's love each other and leave it up to us to figure out what that means, because in American culture, that would be a train wreck. What he does is he gives us many examples, those 25, many, many examples, so we can look at those and we can learn from them. I want to step back from what Paul wrote now for a minute and jump back to the Old Testament because Paul's Bible was the Old Testament, and he knew Hebrew and he knew Aramaic and all that, and he knew Greek, and in the Old Testament, the dominant word for love is hesed. You'll see it all over the place. It's translated in different ways as, as in a faithful, loyal love, enduring love. But hesed also has to do with activity. It's not just a warm fuzzy. In fact, it's less of an emotion and more of an engagement. That God would do something with his love is what underlies hesed. And Paul knows this. It's not romantic. It's not infatuated. It's I love you, I'm going to do something for you. Look at Isaiah 54.10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, that's hesed, for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed. God says, this is the action I'm taking. That's his hesed at work. And that word, hesed, is what we might say for a, a wife who's praying for her husband's salvation. She's faithful, she's engaged, she's doing something, she's praying. Hesed also might be someone who's taking care of an autistic child or a disabled adult or something like this. They're doing something with the love of Jesus at work. That's hesed. Now Paul takes that word hesed, the application of love, and he writes the word agape for the Greek translation of hesed. That's the most dominant word for love in the New Testament, an action-oriented, faithful love that does something for somebody else, is not self-centered, is not out to get something in return, is simple, it's genuine, it's from the heart, it's engagement with the love of God at work in the world through us. That's what Paul's talking about, and that's the word he used in verse 9. So it's not based on whether or not somebody else's condition in the church is worth loving. I mean, do, does ever, does, let me put it this way. I, I grew up in the church everywhere from the little nursery clear up till today. 
Has anybody in church in your life ever annoyed you at any point, at any time, in any way? Well, we're people, right? Has anybody in your family of origin annoyed you or bothered you or got under your skin a smidge? Well, probably more so because you're around them a lot more, right? Well, this is how it is. And yet, the love that we're talking about isn't dependent upon their worth or value to you. The love that we're talking about is love in action because God gives them value. We're all created in the image of God, therefore, off we go. And it has all kinds of applications, all kinds of rabbit trails that we could jump into. And again, Paul gave us 25 of them, 25 of them. We want to look at them closely. So this is how we know what love is, John wrote. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's action, isn't it? He says this, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Brothers meaning people in the faith, men and women, boys and girls, old and young, disabled, enabled, whatever it is, these are the things that we want to put into play. Jesus died for me, I will die for you. Jesus gave, we give. God's a giver, I am too. Our identity in Jesus is what motivates us to live out the ing, the ing, the, the participles that Paul's writing about. It shouldn't be commanded. You shouldn't have to make somebody love somebody. And Paul says if you're a real believer, the love of God's in your heart, it should show up, and not just in words, but in action. And that's what he's getting after. So is our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ ready to respond like that? That's what Paul wants us to consider. So first he takes it up a notch. Not only are we to love each other, but it better be sincere. It's sincere, like God is sincere, which means this. The definition that he uses for sincerity is this. Unadulterated clarity. There's no mistaking that it's done out of God's love. It's not just your own interest or trying to get a thank you from it or a return on it. It's strictly love in action. It's unfeigned simplicity. You do it because you did it. It doesn't have to be complicated. You're not looking for a complicated interaction. It's just simple. I want to help. Here you go. What can I do? Simple as, simple as it is. And also unreserved totality. I'm all in. I'm here. You're my brothers and sisters. You're my family in Christ Jesus. There's the love that's sincere. I just, I want to be there for you. I want to help. I want to love you. I want to participate in your needs to meet those needs, to celebrate, rejoice with you when you rejoice, mourn with you when you mourn. This is my love in action. And it just comes out of the core of your being. And it should be there all the time. First Peter put it this way, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, and that word he uses is philos, that warmth, that cozy, that affection word, that's what he's getting at here first. Then he jumps to agape. Love, or agape, one another deeply. Not superficially, not hypocritically, but deeply, which he means from inside ourselves, the very core of our being. From where? From the heart. Now, the heart in Greek is not where your emotions are. Emotions in Greek are where your guts are. The word there is splankthna. I felt it in my splankthna. My bowels were moved. And you know what that means sometimes. They knew where your emotions were because they felt it. So their gut told them 
an emotion, right? Now, when the Greek talks about your heart, we as Americans think that that's our emotions, and that's not true. What he's saying is your heart is who you are. It's really your identity. Take off all the veneer, and at the core of your being, that is your heart. That's what that means. So you love each other deeply by your very core identity in Jesus, even if you don't feel like it. That's what he's saying. Deeply from your core. Put that into action. So if your love is hypocritical, unfaithful, unreliable, self-serving, deceitful, then it is simply sinful. And God does not want that to happen. If that's the case, then we want to pray for revival, right? All of us can get a little cold sometimes. All of us want to look the other way. All of us may hope that somebody else will take care of business. Somebody else will help them. The deacons are here to take care of that. I can relax and sit back and do nothing. You know, the elders are there. The pastor is there. I can pass it off on them. That is not to have sincere love. That's a hierarchy. That's a pushing it away on somebody else. Those elements, elders, deacons, and, and myself, or pastors, we're here to help you live out that sincerity of love, but not to do it for you. We share and share alike in the care and concern for one another, and that's what we've got to remember. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 tells us to pray for that heart. He says this, May the Lord make your love increase. Who's going to make our love increase? Not a pastor preaching a sermon up front. We may forget in a week what I said. But the Lord can increase this desire, this identity in us. That your love increase and overflow. It's not just for you individually. It's for others. And overflow for, overflow for each other and for everyone else. Just as ours does for you. So it's a very sincere identity-related love that we share for one another. Now let's look at some examples that he gives us. First, point number two. First example he gives is point number two. We are clinging to God's good. We are clinging to God's good. 9b, hate what's evil. Cling to what is good. Hate and cling are, as I said before, participles. We are living lives Hating evil and clinging to good. Now, hate might seem a little odd. I mean, are we supposed to hate anything? But let's face it, if you don't hate evil, you love it. That doesn't work, right? This is called priorities. Paul is not saying, let's get all mad and angry and ticked off at evil. Let's really punch them out and get angry and mad. Let's hate them. Let's hate all those evildoers. But then, you know what? We're all sinners. Have you looked in the mirror? Occasionally it happens, right? It's in our nature, this side of heaven, to struggle with that sin in us, and we want to ask God's help all the time, right? And we repent when we fall short. We have the love of God that's enduring. We don't, we don't worry about our salvation. We just want to serve the Lord with grace and mercy towards others, right? And the comfort that we can bring, and God provides. So hating, clinging. We don't want to cling to the evil, in fact, once you become a believer in Jesus, you know what the word cling means? Glued. And it's passive. We don't glue ourselves to Jesus. God glued us to Christ. So what Paul says is, if your identity is in Christ, you are stuck together with Jesus by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our identity. So 
clinging to Jesus because we've been glued to him, and we don't want to then, because we're glued to Christ, we don't then want to love evil. That just is so wrong. You can't delaminate, you can't unglue what God has glued, but we want to live into it. We want to say, that's who I am. So, hate the evil, that's not where we want to go. We love Jesus, we love the Lord, we want to identify with who we really are. We want to love, like God loves. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're not to be calling evil good in any way, shape, or form. We don't want to celebrate it, promote it. We don't want to participate in it. We want to love God. And sometimes that goes sideways with the world, but that's what we need to do for the world's sake and God's glory. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love, and there's that word agape, each other deeply, because love, agape, covers over a multitude of sins. We don't celebrate the sins. We don't ignore the sins. We don't pretend they didn't happen. We're realistic about it. But at the same time, when somebody says, forgive me, what are we going to do? Forgive them. Place it in God's hands. Reconciliation sometimes is a little more difficult, takes a little more time. Trust has to be reestablished, that kind of thing. Maybe there's some help that's needed, but ultimately we want to forgive them and move on and let the love of Jesus dominate the congregation. That's the one thing I really love, or a thing I really love about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. There's a book of, of discipline within our book of order, and I'm probably one of the only people that's ever read the book of order here. I don't know, maybe you have too. Not great reading, honestly. It's just nutsy boltsy stuff. But you know what's really great about the Book of Discipline? The Book of Discipline isn't focused on, gotcha, I'm going to discipline you, go to your room, time out, you're out of here. You know what it's meant to do? Restore. Its ultimate aim is restoration in Christ. Isn't that the aim for all of us? And sometimes that's real personal, you know. Maybe you need to think about your own restoration. It's called revival, to revive your spirit, to be in touch with the Lord, to spend more time in prayer, to be spend more time in just listening for God, to spend more time in worship, more time in the Word, reading the Word. Renew your mind, Paul started out at the start of this chapter 12. You can renew your mind by engagement with Jesus. I'd say if you're really stuck and you're really struggling, you're not sure how this plays out, I'd say read either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just do that. They're not really long, and you can read it in a day. Easy. But don't rush. Just take your time. Absorb it. Enjoy it. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. And I think you'll find revival there as you learn more about Jesus or are renewed. So what's the application? First, stick with Jesus Christ, who alone is good. Jesus is our example. The Word of God is true. Renew your mind to be transformed like Christ. As Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Don't become like them. We stand with Jesus. We're glued by God to him. That is really who we are. We need to live into it if we're not already. Hate what Jesus hates. Love what Jesus loves. And the more we get to know Jesus, the more renewed our minds will become and we'll know what God's will is. Third, cherish the Christian family. Your third blank there is cherish the Christian family. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Devoted 
and brotherly love really belong together. They're very much alike. Um, devoted means it, it carries the, the, the sense of a friend plus the natural love of a healthy family at home. Now, if you haven't had a healthy family at home, this might be a little bit difficult. But basically what he's saying is, I want you to have a family that's healthy just as you would in a healthy family at home. It's not just an acquaintance at church. It's not just somebody you've seen. It's not just somebody that you kind of know their name but forgot. This is a family, and the bigger the church gets, the harder it gets to do that. That's where small groups come in handy and smaller gatherings of the church. That's why fellowship gathering after church is important for those that want to get and meet and greet and love on each other, hearing about each other, pray for one another. That's why we have the prayer chain, trying to get outside the little circles that we know more intimately and hear from other people so we can pray for people we don't even see regularly. Maybe we don't even know their name, but when they say, I really need prayer, what is a love in Jesus going to do from our core? I'm in. I'll pray for you. Can I help somehow? That's what we want to do. And then the third, the second word there is brotherly love, which means a tender affection. This is the warmth. This is the fuzzy. This is the one that we want to work towards that we can say, I love you dearly from the heart. Not just by what I do, but I really do feel an affection of Christ for you in me. And that's important. That's very important as well as our witness. John 13, 35, Jesus said, All men will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that we're different than they are? Well, if you love one another. Why would I love people that I don't have in my own home? We have family members that have little circle. The family is this little circle. And if you're not in that little circle, you might as well be on planet Pluto, if it's really a planet. You might be way out there in the solar system orbiting the sun, but as far as they're concerned, you're not family, and they don't care, and they're not going to get engaged in your life, and if you have issues, well, they're yours. That is not what we want to do. In a church, we're family all together, and sometimes we're family outside this area here, aren't we? Like if there's a crisis in a, a church in our nation, like a hurricane that wipes out churches in the south or something like that, we've pitched in and helped before because that's our extended family. But Paul is really getting to the point. If you're a follower of Jesus, then that's your identity. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus do it? How was Jesus' attitude portrayed and exemplified and given to us to model on? We want to be like that. And we want to show the world that we're really genuine believers when we honor one another, which means genuine, sincere appreciation. The men that tackled the screen and went up in there and dug around and fiddled around and found the numbers and knew what was broken and knew they could get the part and all that stuff, I can't do that. I have a genuine appreciation for them. It's just something, I just I appreciate that. When I go down to the fellowship hall and I eat something I shouldn't, you know, chocolate chip, cookies, brownies, all the goodies, there's some goodies down there. I sincerely appreciate the people that made those or bought those and I appreciate those that serve them. I do. I also love to watch the kids play in the play area there. They're having fun. If you grew up in the church like I did, those are fond memories that last. You don't know this. This is weird. I'm kinda, I, don't even, I, I thought, should I say anything about this? Because it sounds kind of silly. But every time I turn the heat on in the nursery, I open the door, I prop it open, I turn on the nursery heat, but then there's two other heaters in the little preschool area there, the little kids' area. 
You know you can crawl through the door like kids do? It's about this tall. And, and I get down on my hands and my knees and I crawl through that little door and I, and I, I laugh every time I do it. It's like a, a, a flashback, a throwback. Those are good days. And I feel like a little kid all over again crawling through the door for a brief few seconds. Now, now I've confessed my weakness. But you know what? The church means a lot. And the atmosphere at the church means a lot. And the memories of a church mean a lot. And it really counts. It adds up. It's there. It, it can't be gotten rid of. And if bad things happen in a church somewhere and somebody goes sideways or sin rears its head, you know what you do? You love on each other, you encourage each other, you bless one another, you, you, you don't rub it in, you rub it out, you do what Christ would want you to do, and that means so much, and it has such a positive image that the world just may scratch their heads and say, why do you care about those other people? Well, those other people are my family. We have immediate family, yes, and that's our first priority, but the church family comes right in there after that. That's so important to God. So what's the application? Sincere love shows tenderness and closeness in Christian community. Every one of us is a deacon. There's the office of deacon. They're there to help us deacon, but all of us are to care for one another. Thank people. Affirm them. Pray for them. Help them. Lift them up. Engage in their life without thought for yourself or your motivation don't want to be self-serving or self-centered. It's all for Jesus. As Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what we want to do. Fourthly, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Enthusiasm, zeal. Put some passion in it. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Fervor is a great word. How many of us walk around saying, boy, I got fervor for the Lord today. I am fervorous. I don't even think that's a word. Fervor, what does it mean? It means when you shake a can of Coke and you pop the lid and it flies out. It's bubbling. It's boiling. It's full of energy like a geyser. It wants to explode. He says, serve the Lord with that kind of bubbly power and enthusiasm and joy. Put your heart in it. Let God know. Shake that can. <laughs> Get it out. Galatians 6, 9 to 10. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Is it easy to give up? Do we get tired? Therefore, as we have opportunities, let us do good to all people. Yes. However, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Take care of the home front first, then take care of those beyond the home front equally as Jesus would. But we've, if we don't take, take care of our own, we, it's hypocrisy. It's not real sincere love. There is a hierarchy and a priority here. What we do for ourselves isn't going to last, or the world won't last without Jesus. What we do for Jesus lasts forever, right? Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We want to make that opportunity there, and we want to be filled with zeal, and I don't think that you can whip that up. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes we need a break. Jesus went and took breaks. 
Remember, Jesus is the role model. Sometimes we just need a time out, need to catch our breath, need a sabbatical, need a rest, need to go on vacation, whatever it might be. But when we are in the ministry and we are serving the Lord, it is not drudgery, it is not duty, it's not, well, if I don't do it, nobody will. Okay, I guess so. It's meant to say, Jesus, I love you so much. You died on the cross for me. I'm excited to do anything I can for you. And keep that attitude and keep it alive. Be that bubbly, bursting can of Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whatever flavor you want. But it's you exploding in zeal for God. That's what Paul encourages us to do. So application, don't be lazy when God has something for you to do. Serving the Lord is what Scripture says we're all to do. Romans 1.1, Paul, he describes himself a servant, right? A servant of Christ Jesus. Zeal and fervor won't be misguided if we're focused on serving the Lord. Sometimes people get all excited about something and it just steers them all wrong. Keep your eyes on Jesus, it'll be all right. Rely on the Holy Spirit to be zealous, to be full of fervor, to be that bubbly can exploding for God. Only the Holy Spirit can help us do that day in and day out. Colossians 1.29 says, To this end I labor, struggling with all... Whose energy? Did you notice this? Struggling with all his energy. On my own, I'm tanked. But full of the energy that God provides in the Holy Spirit, I can labor on. Which so powerfully works in me. See, there's key there. There's prayer, reliance. Not just on us, but on the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Our identity at work. Then, fifthly, express the right attitudes. The fifth one, express the right attitudes. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We'll go through these quickly. Joyful in hope. Without hope, there's no joy. The hope is rooted in the gospel, that Christ not only died on the cross, so the forgiveness of our sins, buried, raised, ascended, coming back. That's full of hope. That's the reason we have joy, not, woohoo, joy, I'm a happy camper all the time, I got joy in my heart. It means that I've got a rock-steady reliance on Jesus that no circumstance can affect. I'm solid in Christ, the gospel. This is what joy really is. And so he says, joyful in hope. Joyful in Jesus. Romans 8 says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now, he already said we're adopted, but now we're talking about the completion, the fullness, the resurrection. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. In that hope we were saved already. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is a certainty guaranteed by God. Remember, we're glued to Jesus by God. There's our hope. And in that hope, we have joy. And Paul reminds us to cling to that hope and not get distracted. He also says, then, because of our hope, we should be patient in affliction. Life is not always a bed of roses. The world may not always say, wow, I'm so glad the church is here. 
Isn't it wonderful that the sermons are preached and the Bible is presented and the people want to live for Jesus? Instead, you get the opposite. You people are in the way. You're a bit of a speed bump. I wish you'd just quit doing this. You're interfering with the social trends, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes this happens, patient in affliction. And patient, again, is a participle. It means we're going to endure it, but it also means we expect it to happen. We anticipate, therefore, we can be patient. We're not going to be caught off guard. Romans 5, Paul already wrote, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love, his agape, into our hearts. That our core being, remember? Our identity. By the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Joyful in hope. Faithful in prayer comes next. Faithful in prayer. Faithful means without ceasing. I want you to be a praying church, Paul says. Now, you know, the Thessalonians, it says pray continually, and that's the same thing that he's saying here, to be prayerful. And you can't talk to God all the time. I mean, I have to talk to others. I'm preaching right now, and I'm not going to be talking to God at the same time I'm preaching the message. I'm listening. I'm praying, okay, God, may your Holy Spirit inspire me. If there's something new that pops up, tell me. I'll, I'll share it with the congregation. Prayer to me is a life of listening. Listening. Spiritual intuition. The nudge. The push. The insight. God's saying, call this person. Go see this person. Read your word. Take some time out to rest. Whatever it is, I'm listening. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And you know the old saying, two ears, one mouth, twice as much listening as you would talk. But yet I want to talk to God as well. Lord, help me to understand your will. Help me to see your goodness in this. Help me to understand what you're doing in this situation. Give me the words that I could share. Or maybe I shouldn't say anything. Listening. We could do more with listening than we could talking, I think. Because it's God that steers the ship. It's God that molds our character. It's God that gives us the hope we have. It's God that wants to say, go here, do this, do that. God is the one that's molding and shaping us, so couldn't we do a little bit more in just listening? Okay, God, I'm going to be quiet now. I'm not going to say anything you can tell God and say, now I'm just going to listen. And if you're like me, that lasts about 30 seconds before you get distracted. And you know what you do? You don't give up. You just go right back to it. It takes time. Sometimes it just takes some experience, a new habit. You've got to find maybe a quiet spot or a place away from distractions. But I really want to encourage us to have that quiet time where you're just listening. And then you can listen at work. Bill Takano would tell me when he was still working for Cisco, Bill would run into a problem with the networking with the computers. Right, Bill? And Bill would say, I would pray to God, and God would show me what to do. He wasn't telling God what to do or how to do it. He listened. And miraculously, God led Bill to fix what was broken. That's a great example of just listening in the workplace or anywhere we are. So I, I really would love to see us all, myself included, be better listeners. There's so many distractions out there. We live in a noisy world, don't we? Really noisy world. Turn off the music. Chill out. Relax. You won't die. Well, you might, but you won't. It could be that moment, you know. But what a great blessing it is to just take, God, I'm just here. It might be an image. It could be a word. 
could be a scripture, could be a nudge. God is alive. Do you agree? The Holy Spirit does move his people. Do you agree? Yes. Well, then, let's listen. Let's see what happens. Maybe it's static, but the next day it may not be. I remember one time Carme Keg, who was part of our church, uh, still pops in occasionally. Carme, after an Alpha course, was driving home. Nothing happened during the Alpha course portion of the meeting, but on the way home she had to stop her car because God hit her like a brick, and she listened. That's what God's talking about. That's what Paul wants us to do. Then the fifth, sixth point, last point, give a helping hand. Give a helping hand. Verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Share means sharing. It doesn't mean when I feel like it or whenever. I, it, this, is an, this is a lifestyle. Jesus was always sharing. We, too, then, are always sharing. That's part of our sincere love. Always willing to help out for those in need. And again, you know, there's some wisdom here. You don't, you don't just hand out things willy-nilly to anybody and everybody. You know, we're supposed to help those bear those burdens, but the burdens are those they cannot bear themselves. If you take responsibility for somebody, you take it from them, right? So use wisdom, good understanding, discernment, but we want to be available without being closed-fisted. We want to be open-handed. We have a church emergency fund, for instance, for those that are in need who are going to lose their car or their house or something really vitally important to them, a utility bill or electricity is going to be shut off. We're here to get you through that speed bump. But we're not here for a lifestyle of handouts. You know what I mean? There is a distinct difference. How are we going to fix the problem? What are we going to do to make it better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what so we need to be willing to do to help each other out. 1 John, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need. Now, his brother are Christians, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, your fellow Christian family members in need, but has no pity on them. You don't care. How can the love of God be in him? What happened to your identity? What happened to the Jesus presence in our soul, our heart? Where's our heart? If we won't help, we have no pity I mean, at least you care. This is, a, this is a checkpoint. Do I really care, or is it all about me? How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with what? Agape-like love, right? Action. With actions and in truth, which means actions that would be actions Jesus would take. Not what the society says that you should take. Not the peer pressure, not the outside world telling us how to behave, but what Jesus would do with discernment. That's what Paul says we need to be doing all the time. And then he says practice. And that too is a participle. It's not occasional, it's practicing. You're looking for examples. Let's say, for instance, a missionary comes into town, needs a place to stay. If you've got some room for them, are you willing to say, you can stay with me? See, back then they had inns, yes, and they had places, not very many, but they had some, and they were nefarious. They were evil places. Dark things happened there, dangerous places. Christians like Paul that traveled relied on other Christians to take him in, to provide for his needs, to receive them. Sometimes they sent letters of recommendation along. I know so-and-so, he's a good guy, you can take him in, it's safe. He's a believer in Jesus, he's got a ministry and a call from God. Please welcome him into your body, your church. 
provide for their needs. That's what Paul is saying. So look for opportunities to help each other out. Um, we've had occasion where we've had two different families live with us from our church over the course of nine or 12 months in occasions because we had the room, we had the heart interest we were able to share with them, and it was a blessing for everybody. And they got on their feet and on the way they went. Willingness to practice hospitality. When we first came here candidating, we had no home. So several of you here in the church took us in, and hopefully you don't regret that, um, with kids in tow and everything else and young that we were. Um, but, you know, it was so welcoming to be shown hospitality and, and the, the ex experience of all of that. Even before we were missionaries in Germany, how many houses did we live in? Four, four different houses in one summer. But the neat part was, because we had no home, the neat part was the members of the church said, I'm gone for a while, you can stay at my house. And somebody else says, well, I'm gone for a while, you can stay at my house. Moving wasn't a whole lot of fun, but you know what? We had a roof over our heads. We had everything provided for. It was wonderful. That's what Paul is talking about, is keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. If there is an opportunity, practicing hospitality. That's just key to living and helping each other out. Like 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Like Jesus would do it without grumbling. So wrap-up questions. I wrote them out in your outline because I think these are really good summary questions. Like I said, he gives us 25 examples of what sincere love does. And we've only touched on several of them here this morning. There are more coming up in the weeks to come. And so at the end here, I just wrote them out very simply. Questions we can ask ourselves to see how sincerely we're truly loving each other from our core identity in Jesus. So I'll just read them through. Is your love among Christians sincere? Do you hate evil and cling to the good, to what is good? Are you tender and caring toward all of them, all your brothers and sisters in Jesus? You know, we can't one another, right, unless we're with one another. And we want to do that well. Are you energized by the Holy Spirit and actively serving the Lord or just tired out in your own strength or simply lazy? That can happen. Do you have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you do, do you have enduring joy then in your hope? We should. Enduring patience in affliction? We should. Enduring faithfulness in prayer? Well, we should. That's our identity. And are you looking for opportunities to help Christians in need and personally engaging in the solution, if you can? These are big, big uh, examples. He's only giving us some examples, but can you see the root? Can you see the core from which all these things spring? It's Jesus. And he says, I know that you love Jesus, therefore out of Jesus comes these activities. And amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ, these are examples of what sincere love does. And he writes this because he knows that every church needs to sit back and reflect. Is that my love? Is that my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Prayer that it is. And if it isn't quite all there, then pray for God's love to be poured out more so into you so that it can overflow. Pray for revival. Pray for inspiration. If you're tired and there's not that bubbly, effervescent zeal, pray for that too, because where does that come from? It comes from the Lord, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, 
that your love is unfailing, that you feel love for us. You have that philos, that warmth, that tenderness, that intimacy with us, Lord God, that's passionate. And I thank you, God, as we all do, for your love. We thank you, too, that your love isn't just words, isn't just a concept, isn't just an idea, isn't just platitudes. Lord God, your love is a love that takes action. And we thank you again that out of that passionate love for us, out of that desire to save us, to bring us back into a relationship with you, to absolve us, Lord God, of our sins, to remove those that we would not be condemned, you gave us, Jesus, your Son. And Lord God, in your plan and in your love, Jesus acted, not only taught us, but died to save us, to sacrifice himself, to take away our sins, to pay the penalty that we could live. And so, God, we come to you this morning. First of all, thank you, Father. We want to honor you. We want to praise your name. We pray that the identity that we have in Jesus will truly move us to action. And when we're tired, when we're lazy, Lord God, help us to take the rest we may need. But Lord, we pray that the zeal, the fervor that you alone can bring will fill our hearts and that our love for one another will only grow deeply and richly in truth and in true care for one another. Affection to cherish the church. Thank you, Father. May your Holy Spirit now do your mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Prayer to the King is the song of singing. Shown to me. 
as I seek to win the lost. May I be a faithful servant to the message of the cross. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek to win the lost. May I be a faithful servant to the message of the cross. Amen. Would you join me in singing, or not singing, but really, you know, it's like a hymn, but the Lord's Prayer. Um, why do we do that at the close of every service? Because it, it reminds us of the fullness of prayer. It's, it's got everything from praising God to the forgiveness of sins to daily bread, relying on God to protect us from the evil one, the evil that's in the world, to know that God's light's going to shine, and so his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's really, if you would just take the time, even this week, if you want to listen, try and just read one little verse of it, and then be quiet and see what happens. Read another little verse of it. Be quiet. See what happens. God speaks. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all God's wonderful people could say, Amen. God bless you. Come on down to the fellowship hall and uh, make sure you say hi to the Washburns who are passing through. Wonderful to see them. God bless you. Thank you.